Good morning, distinguished guests, friends and colleagues. Thank you for attending this conference. It is entitled Revisitings. We are revisiting meritocracy, housing, pluralism, and our social compact. We ought to revisit IPS too, as befitting our 35th anniversary. For the purpose of this conference, I asked IPS to interview some people. We deliberately set out to interview those likely to be critical, if not as stringent, loving critics to quote Professor Tommy Koh, our special advisor. They all have had associations with IPS. Some, like Professors Chua Beng Huat, Linda Lim, and Pauline Strawn, have participated in our conferences and or research projects. Professor Lim Siong Guan, the former head of the civil service, was the fourth SR Nathan Fellow. Professor Cherian George was an adjunct senior research fellow. And Mr. Sudhir Thomas Vadiketh was one of the co-authors of the paper on inequality that anchored the 2012 Singapore Perspectives Conference. Here's a brief video of their views. Government. Relevance. Survey, I guess. Well, if you give me just one word to describe IPS, I would say, think. If you give me two words, I would say, think Singapore. It might be necessary or useful, but not in its current form. No, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> IPS, as since I've known it from the beginning, was designed as uh, or intended to be a think tank for the government on government policies. So I think that that's a good idea. I think it's useful. I think most governments have or should have in-house think tanks that help them to evaluate policy needs and policy outcomes and so on. I think IPS is, uh, has been very adaptable. Um, it started off focusing mainly more qualitative uh, you know, work that would you know, tease out trends and uh, you know, flavour you know, of our uh, social fabric. And then over time, when Singapore society became very much more reliant on unbiased data, IPS then moved full swing into quantitative analysis and data collection. The public phase is essentially dominated by uh, the op-ed pieces and the surveys. It depends on what one expects of IPS as a public institution. So far, if the ambition, initial ambition was to provide some kind of independent thinking about public policies in different areas, there isn't much evidence of that. Like any establishment institution in Singapore, uh, IPS, I think, can't be expected to be the master of its own destiny. It's a reflection of its times, of its environment. My impressions are that there are good people here. It's well-resourced. I've met many scholars from here, but it's lacking independence from the PAP. IPS has grown through the years, obviously, uh, building up its self-confidence, uh, building up its capacity uh, to be able to tackle a much broader range of issues. That to me has been a very good development for IPS. 
Back in the 1990s, I think when the government was keen on pruning the bunion tree, so to speak, uh, IPS was able to serve like an honours broker between government, civil society, the intelligentsia. Uh, in the 2010s though, perhaps because the government feels there's already an excess of criticism, IPS has, uh, I think accordingly, uh, in a stayed away from uh, controversy or research and activities that could be seen to add fuel to the fire. My reservation is that over the years it seems to have moved more from an independent research outfit, which is what I think a government think tank should be, to more of a communications organ. It seems to be focused more on justifying and legitimating policies that the government has already decided on. IPS you know, regularly puts out stuff that I enjoy reading. I can think of the food delivery survey that was done at the end of last year. I think what IPS does well is actually identify hot topics, you know, fairly early on, like uh, inequality, demographics, race relations, and so on. IPS has correctly tried to help through the policy formation process uh, by conducting surveys and developing ideas on issues which uh, in a way has already been identified by the government and IPS has been very good in building up data to give a sense as to uh, you know whether we are acting in a good way or what adjustments we could be making to policy. An entity like IPS which presents objective relevant data to showcase the strengths of our social fabric to highlight the trends and very importantly to also highlight the gaps. So IPS plays an extremely relevant and significant role in our society because it accords to us the data that we need for an evidence-based perspective towards policy formation. I think in the eyes of the independent journalists and writers out there who, who I can speak for, there's a question mark. Is IPS actually genuinely putting out independent research or is it actually doing the PAP's bidding? I can understand the question people raise as to whether IPS is really independent or not. Because a lot of the time when you read the IPS reports, they affirmed the government statement. So what have we added to our knowledge about the topic? The real test to me about independence is, does IPS have the freedom to look at an issue and think through it? I think that the survey reports tend to be on issues that are pretty close to government interests rather than generating independent uh, interests as such. What I do see in that is publicly available. The issues that are dealt with is a little bit too routine rather than exception. Most policy issues have activists involved and we never hear their voices in the IPS seminars, so we don't get a full picture. As society becomes more complex, I think we will have to learn how to improve on our research methodologies and our um, data analysis techniques 
so that we don't run the danger of just producing top lines that are same old, same old and easy to surface. What I would have liked to see uh, was um, uh, for IPS to consider, direct their attention to issues which have a much longer time focus than tended to be. I think that, that if IPS were to begin to enter into an area which the government has not thought about, or an area where you see this an evolving challenge to the country, I think that that really would be useful. Deal with some of the issues that are greater concern that is not directly related to not just oven or reactive kind of research surveys, but generate some topics that it comes up of its own. The independence of organizations and institutions like IPS, I think, is very important for Singapore's future. So I would say try to wean yourself off government funding as much as possible. Try to break ties, informal or formal. The whole idea of a think tank is to challenge, to innovate. So I would bring in new people. I would bring in people who are critical. They don't have to be right. I don't have to agree with them. And I think that would create a much livelier space for a lot of the discussion, make it much harder for people to, to dismiss what comes out from IPS uh, projects. I think Singapore's intellectual capital has blossomed over the years. There's so many smart young Singaporeans and I think the challenge for IPS is to keep up with that evolution. Some of our loving critics are less emollient than others. But no matter, we take all their views seriously. Longer extracts of the interviews we conducted with all those featured in the video are available on IPS's YouTube channel. IPS is a government-funded public policy think tank. We get an annual grant from the government. Many of the research projects we conduct are commissioned by government agencies. Of especial importance to us is the one-to-one -one matching grant we receive from the Ministry of Education for every dollar we raise from donors. One of our former directors, Arun Mairnan, defined our relations with the government thus. IPS is close to the government, not, not part of the government. Close, but not part of. That distance, not part of, is as important as that proximity close. Our main business has always been and remains public policy, not politics, policy. Examining policy, discussing policy, publishing on policy, conducting surveys on various matters pertinent to policy, and providing platforms for a wide variety of stakeholders to meet on policy like conferences, seminars, workshops, citizen juries, deliberative polling, and whatnot. We have been innovative in pursuing some of this work. For example, we have conducted two major scenario planning exercises, IPS PRISM in 2012, which culminated in an immersive arts experience, including foreign theater, 
curated by the playwright Kok Heng Luen. Another scenario planning exercise, reimagining Singapore 2030, is ongoing. Other things I might mention are one, the citizen panels or juries that IPS has organized most recently on employment resilience, including unemployment insurance, which was funded by Nian Kongsi. Two, the biennial Young Singaporeans Conference, an always lively and enlivening event organized for the most part by our young research assistants for other young Singaporeans. Three, the 50-volume Singapore Chronicles series on all and sundry topics concerning Singapore, from our flora and fauna to food, from the economy to foreign policy, from PAP to opposition, from emergency to separation. The Chronicle series, I'm glad to announce, remains live with new editions of current titles plus additional ones being planned. And four, the recently established IPS program on race, religion, and intergroup cohesion, supported by the Silent Foundation. This is an empirically based program to promote awareness of and competence in managing racial, religious, and intergroup cohesion. Ten years ago, on our 25th anniversary, IPS numbered 31. Now, on our 35th anniversary, we number 114, an almost fourfold growth. In 2013, we had barely started IPS Social Lab, which collects sentiments and behavioral data. Now, Social Lab alone exceeds 45. Ten years ago, we did not have an IPS Policy Lab, which conducts pilots and policy experiments. Policy Lab is beginning to do interesting work with eight research staff. Together with Social Lab and Policy Lab, IPS's society and culture and governance and economy departments have continued to grow and deepen over the years. Collectively, we focus on four areas of research, managing diversities, inequality, and social mobility, managing, managing the challenges and opportunities of an aging society, and governance of a city-state. Governance of a city-state, diversity, inequality, aging, governance of a city-state. When IPS began 35 years ago, it is about the only think tank or public policy research unit in town beside the Grand Dame, ISIS. Now we have many more research institutions and think tanks, including one specializing in particular subjects like water and energy, and many devoted to regional or area studies from the East Asia Institute to the Middle East Institute. As a result, IPS today, compared to the IPS of 35 years ago, has come to focus almost exclusively on domestic matters. Ever since we established Social Lab and now Policy Lab, IPS has been moving in a new direction, not only researching, talking, and writing about policy, but also experimenting with policy, testing policy ideas, running pilots, figuring out what might work, what doesn't. Our people have done some interesting, valuable work in these areas, but we are still only at the foothills. Not just IPS, the whole field of public policy. There is a great deal more we can do in government as well as public policy institutions to adopt an empirical approach to policy making. Testing proposals before they are adopted, let alone scaled up. Building of no a body of knowledge on policy implementation and outcomes constantly tweaking policies with the view of improving them 
and thereby improving the lives of our fellow citizens. Over the last two years, 2022 and 23, Social Lab alone has undertaken 35 unique projects, 26 of them conducting the research and analysis as well as collecting the data. Alas, less than half of this work has been published, such being the terms of the commissions and grants we receive. Social Lab's projects are too numerous to detail. I'll, on, I'll only mention a few. PATHS, short for Pathways and Trajectories of Households in Singapore, which tracks the long-term experiences and outcomes of 5,000 households here, including their employment and children's development. Youth Steps, short for Study on Transitions and Evolving Pathways in Singapore, which tracks over 3,000 youth examining their educational and career pathways. A project in partnership with Mendaki to evaluate the effectiveness of an intervention program to empower low-income Malay Muslim parents to prepare their preschool children for maths. And finally, something we're most proud of, two surveys examining the motivations and stresses and needs of private hire vehicle drivers and food delivery riders. Our young researchers, research assistants and associates were very involved in this project. As a result of their passion, IPS contributed to government efforts to improve the working conditions of platform workers. This is only one example of the useful work we can do. It is not just a matter of producing research papers as valuable as those are. It is also about mobilizing the passion and idealism of young researchers to improve policy, to make life just a little better for our fellow Singaporeans. I'll only mention a few of Policy Lab's projects to give you a sense of the possibilities here. Piloting programs to better integrate people with disabilities in their neighborhoods. Offering debt relief to low-income families. A policy experiment to determine if alternative forms of organization using decentralized decision-making and governance can better achieve collective goals, social outcomes, and administrative effectiveness a three-year partnership with Tote Board to improve the capabilities of non-profit organizations. I might mention a few initiatives in the pipeline. First, recently, Senior Minister Tharman Shanmugaratnam launched Tote Board's Six Million Future Ready Society Impact Fund. The Lee Kuan Yew Center for Innovative Cities will focus on futures research to identify opportunity areas while IPS Policy Lab will incubate solutions in partnerships across the public, private, and people sectors. IPS itself is working on establishing a social compact outcomes fund, which will adopt outcomes-based financing principles. The fund will pay for programs that achieve verifiable results. Related to these, Policy Lab will build a knowledge hub that includes an ideas bank, evidence reviews, and evaluation studies, a sort of what works center that practitioners can access to determine what solutions are worth implementing. And finally, Policy Lab is working on creating a solutions exchange to list promising ready-to-implement projects so that good ideas can find funders. Our business is public policy, I said, not politics. And yet, we cannot avoid politics. Singapore's political landscape is bound to become more contested 
in time perhaps even fractured. It is urgent various bodies in the civil space create and guard common spaces so people can meet regardless of political affiliations. IPS is one such space in the area of public policy. To paraphrase T.H. Huxley, sit down before fact as a little child, be prepared to give up every preconceived notion, follow humbly where the facts may lead, with no regard to what one side or the other in the political sphere might think. These are not easy ideals to live by. We can only try. Sometimes our findings are cited favorably by the ruling party. Sometimes they are cited favorably by the opposition. Either way, it hasn't mattered, it shouldn't. Will IPS still be around in 10, 20, or 30 years? Well, if we remain of use to the public service, to the government, to our various stakeholders, and above all, to the people of Singapore, there is no reason why we should not be around. And if we cease to be of use, there is no reason why we should exist. Sitting down before facts humbly includes listening to what our critics say. There is often a kernel of truth in what may seem to one, at first glance, wrong-headed or misinformed. At the very least, our sternest critics can function as sharp, piercing spurs, girding us into action with renewed purpose. The state of IPS is healthy. We continue to attract promising young researchers, 12 PhDs in the past three years alone. We continue to attract large numbers to our conferences. Our various stakeholders, including funders, continue to find us of use. I'm confident that we have built a sufficiently strong base to enable our researchers and staff to effect positive change for Singapore and Singaporeans. And now, may I invite Professor um, Terence Ho, who is moderating our first panel, entitled Revisiting Meritocracy. Minister Chan Chun Singh will speak first, followed by two respondents, Professor Daniel Goh and Professor Jason Tan. May I invite Minister Chan Chun Singh and Terence Ho to the stage.